Well, I had a, a just an odd little one this morning too. I um, am still dealing with some some gastrointestinal issues and and um, don't feel very good. And this morning, I just said, God, I'm going to need your help today. And I have a little bottle of honey up on my desk because I drink honey in my tea. And um, I thought, well, you know, I bet a little bit of honey might be, you know, just kind of soothe things a little bit. And so I took a little bite. And as soon as I took a little bite of that honey, I remembered the story back in, I think it's in 1 Samuel, where, where Jonathan and the Israel army were fighting the Philistines. And Jonathan had been fighting all day, and he was exhausted. And he found a honeycomb and went and took a stick and dipped the stick in the honeycomb and ate the honey off the stick. And the scripture says, and immediately his eyes were brightened. And I thought, oh, that's what I need today, God. So thank you for, um, you know, just reminding me that a little bit of honey can brighten our eyes. Which is really good because today we're talking about seeing. Um, raise your hand if you wear glasses, if you wear contacts, or if you don't wear them but ought to. Okay? Probably about two-thirds of us. We need help to see, don't we? We need help to see. I got my first pair of glasses when I was seven years old. Um, Jim thought that he had found a picture of me in those glasses, but this morning he couldn't find it, and it's probably a good thing for us all. Um, it was pretty pathetic. Um, I had those, you know, it was back in, oh, dare I even say the 60s, and so those cat eye glasses. Yeah. But I, for one, am thankful for my glasses, because without my glasses, I can only see about this far. And, and I need them, and they help me to see better. I'm thankful for them. Eyes are really quite impressive. They have been called the windows to the soul. They, they express our thoughts and our emotions. You know, when, when we're in love, we gaze into the eyes of the one that we love, don't we? Or when with, you're with someone whom you're a little bit suspicious about, you watch their eyes carefully to see whether or not they're telling the truth. Our eyes, on the, on the physical level, our eyes take in light rays, and they bend and they focus them onto the retina, and from there they're converted into these electrical impulses that are carried by the optic nerve to the brain, which then interprets that into an image and all of that happens instantly it's really rather amazing when sight begins to fade or when we lose our sight it changes the way that we perceive the things around us it changes the way that we interact it changes the way that we live of course, Ken Jones, who isn't feeling well today, so he's not here, he can't see a thing, but he can still bowl a 200. I don't know how he does that, but. <laughs> so today, we're going to talk about one of my favorite gospel stories. 
It's a story about eyes, a story about sight. And we can find it in John chapter 9. Now, as I was working on this um, the last couple of weeks, I realized very early on that I have bitten off far more than we can chew today. So I'm just going to be taking some, some highlights. There's a lot that I'm going to skip over, but I encourage you, read John chapter 9. It's a wonderful story. Jesus and his disciples were in Jerusalem. And as they walked around one day, they saw a man who was begging. And this man had been born blind. Now, the disciples apparently thought that this might be a good teaching moment, so they turned to Jesus and said, Rabbi, that man over there, whose fault was it that he was born blind? Did he sin or did his parents sin? Now, there are so many things wrong with that question. So many things. But the most important thing is, they are talking about this man right in front of him. It was as if they thought that because he couldn't see them, he must not exist. He was just a blind beggar, for goodness sake. He was a curiosity, a nuisance. They certainly didn't see him as a person of value. Another thing that was wrong with this question, and actually it was kind of a cultural thing, the Jews connected suffering and sin together. They, they believed that wherever there was suffering, somewhere there was sin as well. We aren't so very different when you really start to think about it. In the first point, it's so easy to overlook or ignore, disregard, disrespect, often without even realizing that's what we're doing. How often do we let that happen? Do we see someone who, who maybe is, is, they're not on our radar, and we just ignore them, might even talk about them as if they weren't even there, as if they weren't a person of value. When it comes to the other, the, uh, the assumption that suffering and sin go together, we are quick to assign blame. Think about it. We're, we're quick to jump on the whose fault is it bandwagon. And as I was thinking about this, I thought, Maybe it's because we do live in a world of cause and effect. And that is a way um, that we can try and reconcile unfairness and injustice. That, well, if something has gone wrong, there must have been a wrong that happened over here in order to cause that. So that's kind of a natural thing. Um, we aren't so different from the disciples. So they asked the question, who sinned? Was this man born blind because he sinned? Which is kind of an interesting thought in and of itself. How could he sin before he was born? Or did his parents sin? And Jesus stopped. He looked at his guys. 
And he said, this man didn't sin. Neither did his parents. It happened so that God's works could be seen in him. And I thought, wait, because that's almost worse. I can understand something bad that happened because of sin. But he was born blind so that God's work could be seen in him. God created this man with sightless eyes on purpose just to show off God's power. Has anybody else thought that? Is it just me? I know it's not just me because I told this story from John 9 to a friend of mine recently who is not a believer, and that was exactly her reaction. Well, why would God do that? Why would God do that? We have such a one-sided view of suffering and such a limited perspective of God's mind and God's purposes. It is a profound mystery. I don't begin to understand it, but affliction and sorrow and pain and disappointment and loss are opportunities for displaying God's grace. Opportunities for displaying his love and his mercy and his power, even when I don't understand why. Well, Jesus spit in the dust, made some mud, and smeared it on the blind man's eyes, which is a bit gross and completely unhygienic, but it was effective. Jesus said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man went, and he washed, and he came home seeing. For the first time in his life, he could see. He could see shapes and colors and movement and people. For the first time. Can you even begin to imagine what that walk home must have been like? He could see. The wonder, the revelation, the, the curiosity. What is that? What is that? Oh, look over there. I mean, I remember when I got my glasses at seven years old, I remember looking and saying, the trees have leaves. Well, I knew trees had leaves, but I'd never, it'd been a long time since I'd seen them because my vision was so bad. Can you imagine the joy on that walk home? And of course, the man immediately became the talk of the town. Hey, look at him. Is that really him? It can't be, can it? What happened? He's always been blind. How can he see? But the formerly blind man insisted, I am the man. Yes, it is really me. And I love this exchange in John chapter 9, verse 10. It says, the neighbors asked, who healed you? What happened? He told them, 
The man they called Jesus made mud and spread it over my eyes and told me, go wash in the pool of Siloam and, or go to the pool in, of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and I washed and now I can see. Where is he now? They asked. I don't know, he replied. I don't know. But his neighbors were so amazed and wanted to get figure out what had gone on. So they brought him to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees asked him the same question. Who did this? How did it happen? And the man said, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and now I see. Pretty straightforward. Pretty matter of fact. And completely miraculous. What in our lives are like that? If God answered prayer even once for us this last week, what is pretty straightforward, pretty matter of fact, absolutely miraculous that God is doing in our world, in our lives. We ought to be able to pinpoint those things. If we can't, maybe it's because our eyes aren't open. Maybe we aren't looking. Well, now the religious leaders faced a dilemma. Jesus is performing these astounding miracles and we see it all through um all through the gospels he not only caused blind people to see but deaf people to hear and and the sick to be healed he's performing these miracles and they're the very miracles that were prophesied centuries before as a sign of the coming messiah the one sent from god But at the same time, so, so on this side, here's these miracles that must be from God. But at the same time, Jesus is behaving in ways that are completely contrary to the accepted understanding of God and the scripture. The day that Jesus healed this blind man was the Sabbath. Jesus worked on the Sabbath. He made mud, for goodness sake. We're all familiar with the Ten Commandments, right? At least vaguely, we know that there were Ten Commandments that were given to Moses. Anybody know what the Fourth Commandment is? Okay, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And of course, the Pharisees would say, would a true man of God so blatantly disregard God's very clear command? This is one of the big ten. Would a man of God really do that? I mean, this was a command that God carved into stone with his own finger. And Jesus is disregarding it. 
The Jewish leaders didn't know what to think. Is this an act of God or not? It seems like it, but it can't be. We face that, don't we? New ideas, the attitudes of our culture should never negate the truth of God's commands. We must not compromise righteousness. But at the same time, are we open to recognize that perhaps our notion of what those commands require might be too limited in the eyes of God? In other words, here is God's command. I think it means this. And so I live as if it means this. But what if God knows it's a little broader than my limited understanding? Am I willing to be open to that possibility? The Pharisees were convinced that theirs was the right way, the only way of serving God. But that presumption blinded them to the truth of what God was doing right in front of them. They asked the man, what do you think? Which is really kind of funny because these are the religious leaders and they're asking a man who has been a blind beggar, who in their perspective is barely human, and yet they ask him, what do you think? Now, when his neighbors asked him that question, the man called Jesus, the man named Jesus healed me. Now, to the Pharisees, he declares Jesus to be a prophet of God. Soon, he will call Jesus Lord. See the progression? The religious leaders are perplexed. The man who was healed is certain. Who is this man who healed you? Well, next, the man's parents are summoned. If you can't get a straight answer from the kid, call the parents. And they asked, is this your son? If he was really born blind, how is it that he can now see? And his parents said, yes, this is our son. He's our son. And yes, he was born blind. As to the rest of it, though, we really don't know. Why don't you ask him yourself? Mom and dad's response seems a little bit abrupt, a little harsh. Go ask him yourself. But you know, they were afraid. They were afraid because the Jewish leaders had made it quite clear that anybody who accepted Jesus as the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. They would be excommunicated. 
which is far more than you can't come to church here anymore. The synagogue was the center of Jewish community life. If they were put out, they would, they would be ostracized. They would be publicly denounced. They would be officially banished, not only from God, but from their society, their neighborhood, their friends. And the man's parents were not willing to risk that. So they chose what they knew. They chose what they felt, what felt to them like security over choosing to, to explore this, this astounding thing that had happened to their son. How do you think that must have made the man feel? That's a tough one, isn't it? Again, the religious leaders summoned the man who had been born blind. They said to him, give glory to God, which with a little research I discovered, that was their version of, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God? It basically was saying, it was saying, speak the truth in the presence and in the name of God. And so he did. He replied, whether he, Jesus, is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind. But now I see. One thing I do know, I was blind. But now I see. This is real. This happened to me. You may not believe. My own family doesn't know what to think. I can't explain it. But this I know. I was blind, and now I see. And Jesus was the one who did it. We may not always be able to express what we believe with theological accuracy. You know, he said, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. I don't know. But we do know what God has done in us and for us. Well, the Pharisees couldn't refute what the man had said. They couldn't refute the miraculous thing that had happened to him he stood there before them eyes wide open they couldn't argue with that so instead they resorted to abuse and insults and force in anger and fear they threw him out Now, Jesus heard what had happened to the man that he had healed. We don't know how much time it elapsed, but with all this summoning, I imagine it was least, at least a few days. Um, Jesus heard what had happened to the man, and he looked for him, which I find um, 
just, I don't know, makes me happy. The Jews may have thrown him out, but Jesus sought him out. When Jesus found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Now, Son of Man was Jesus' most common title for himself. He called himself Son of Man over and over again. And actually, that title, Son of Man, comes from an ancient prophecy in the book of Daniel, and it refers to the coming Messiah. Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14 say, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with clouds, with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All the nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Now, every good Jew knew they were aware of what the phrase Son of Man meant. They knew that it was a reference to the coming Messiah. So when Jesus said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He is really asking, do you believe that I am the one come from God, entrusted by him with everlasting authority and with glory and with sovereign power? That's a rather audacious question. And the man who had been born blind asked, Who is he, sir? Tell me so that I can believe. And at first I went, Well, that's kind of an odd response. Until we remember that up to this moment, the blind man had not yet seen Jesus. The last time they were together, he was still blind. So this is the first time that he's seeing him face to face. And Jesus said, you have seen him. I am he. Your eyes are open. You can see. Look at me. And the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped. As we close, a comment and a question. The man was given an amazing gift, the gift of sight. But the gift of sight demands a response. We are responsible for what we see, for who we see. Jesus told a, a parable, a story of judgment that we know as the parable of the sheep and the goats in Matthew 25. Let me read just part of it for you. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, 
Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Who do we see? And what will we do with what we see? There are so many, very many, hungry, thirsty, strangers, naked, sick, captives, we are surrounded by people who are experiencing those things. Pastor Anley Stanley, Andy Stanley said, once said, do for the one what you could, what you wish you could do for everyone. Do for the one what you wish you could do for everyone. And we actually were talking about this a little bit in small group Wednesday night. And I said, yes, but there are so many ones. So many hungry, so many sick, so many thirsty, so many naked, so many strangers, so many captives. And I could do for the one, and yet there's still so many. What do we do? And as I thought about it and prayed about it, I thought, do for the one that you can see right now. Do for the one that God has put right in front of you, that you can see. And then pray that God will help me to see the next one. And that Kurt will see the next one. And that Zella will see the next one.
Yes, exactly. Yeah. That's exactly. Do for the one what you wish you could do for everyone. That was the comment. Now the question. Do I really want to see? Do we really want to see? Because, you know, sometimes blindness, sometimes the dark can be comfortable and familiar. Yes, it can be scary, but it's what I know. It's what I know. Do I want to see? Well, Jesus wants you to see. He wants the works of God to be displayed in you as your blindness washes away. If we want to see, he will open our eyes. And then it's back to what will we do with our sight? Are we doing the works of the Father in his light and by his power living in his goodness? Are we telling those who ask, what, what, is, what happened? Who did this? Are we telling those who ask what Jesus has done for us, even if they don't get it? Even if we don't completely understand it ourselves, are we still telling the story? Are we sticking close to Jesus, even if it means that we're ridiculed and insulted and rejected? thrown out do we believe do we worship this man was born blind so that the works of God might be displayed in him are our eyes open to see where God is at work in us One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see, and it's all because of Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for this story. Thank you that even though it doesn't seem right, that... Somebody is born blind. Anybody is born blind. We thank you that your work was displayed in this man. We thank you for his courage and for his boldness and for his willingness to be used by God. Even when it meant um, a lot of hurtful and uncomfortable things happening. May we be like him, Jesus. May we say, I was blind, but now I see, and Lord, I believe, and fall down in worship. And then stand up and do the good works that you have put out in front of us to do. God, I pray that our eyes will be open to see the one in front of us. May we never 
ignore them or disregard them or, or disrespect them by saying, well, no wonder they're there. Look, look at their past. Look at what they did. Look at their sin. But God, may we see you in them. Because whatever we do for them, we do for you. Open our eyes, God. May we see. Thank you that you want to do that in us and for us. You are good. We love you. Pray this in the name of the one who opens our eyes, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. As we come to the table and drink the juice and eat the bread, remember the words that Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. If you want to see, you are welcome to come. <laughs>